All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and go to the book of Genesis right there at the very beginning. And we'll be in chapter 32 as we continue to journey um, with Jacob. Genesis 32, and we'll cover a smaller section than we have been. Uh, we'll just look at verses 32 through um, 22 to 32, and Jacob's wrestling with God. Uh, wrestling is one of the oldest combat sports, um, and it was, which is why it made it a big deal when they tried to get it out of the Olympics for this upcoming year. I don't know if you remember that they were going to make room for other sports and get rid of wrestling. But there was such an uproar that they said, no, we need to keep wrestling in because it's, it seems as old as humanity itself. I imagine that the first people that wrestled were probably Adam and his sons because that's what you do with your father as you wrestle. I can remember that as a kid um, and now as a father. Um, it's just natural that you wrestle. Uh, that's what happens. And so wrestling is, is, is something that we're all sort of familiar with and um, – here in the text, it's we find Jacob wrestling, not with his father Isaac, but wrestling with an angel. Um, it's an amazing picture, but let's be totally honest, the story is a little strange. Um, as I've gone through and wrestled with the text, there are questions that I just can't answer. I'm not sure exactly what's going on here. It's hard to fully understand what is happening and, and why it's happening. And as I've tried to find clarity with the passage, I think in some sense there is supposed to be a, a shadow over it, a, a confusion with it to not fully understand what is happening because that's in many ways what our walk of faith is like. It's, it's sort of this painful struggle sometimes in the dark, in the night that we don't fully understand. And I think that's sort of the mood that is supposed to be here. It's, it's dark and it's, and it's really visceral and it's, it's a struggle. Um, and just to awaken in our hearts that that's sometimes how we walk through life, is that it's it's a it's a wrestling match, and sometimes it's not just that we're wrestling with ourselves. I think that's part of what's going on here, but that we're wrestling even with God Himself. And in this, I, I want to kind of walk through the passage and then try to draw out some thoughts. But my my hope is to jumpstart your meditation on the passage as well, because I'll admit I'm still wrestling and trying to understand exactly what these verses have to say in Jacob's life. So let's just join together um, in it. I'll give you one big thought that I think encapsulates much of what's going on here. But again, um, there's more than meets the eye in this passage. Um, and it's this thought that God cripples our strengths to strengthen our trust. God cripples our strengths to strengthen our trust. We'll see Jacob get injured here. And uh, if you've ever been injured, then you kind of know what that is, that if something that you're really strong in is taken away from you, then you suddenly have to rely on other people. It could be something very simple. You know, you hurt your thumb and you can't do half the things that you were able to do before. Imagine if some of you have broken an arm even recently and, and you can't do all the things that you were able to do beforehand. And, and that's sort of what happens here. And in crippling our strength spiritually, God helps us to trust him more. I think that's part of what's going on here with Jacob. So we're kind of swimming around, aren't we? Let's jump in the text and see what it says 
and then walk through it and try to see some application. So Genesis 32, and, and just to summarize from beforehand, you saw at the beginning of chapter 32 um, uh, that uh, Jacob had left Laban, and on the way towards Canaan, he meets some angels who encourage him. This is God's camp. God is with him. And then he sends some messengers to his brother Esau, and Esau starts coming towards him with 400 men. And Jacob is scared out of his mind because he assumes that, that Esau is coming to kill him. And so he starts devising his own plans. In the midst of that, he prays and he's trusting God. And yet at the same time, he's, he's doing what Jacob always does, which is scheming and trying to come up with a plan for how he is going to deal with that. And so having split his camp up, we find in verse 22 that this is the next thing that happens. It says, the same night he, Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Right at the beginning, verse 1, it says, the same night. You know, Genesis often we've seen covers spans of years within a couple of verses, but this is a particular instance that's lasting for a long time, and it's this very same night, referring to that time when Jacob had prayed for deliverance and when he's splitting up his camp, that very same night as he's planning how he's going to appease his brother and find his own deliverance. It's that evening, as he struggles between faith and, and scheming, that he sends his whole family and everything that he owns across the Jabbok. The Jabbok is a, a, a river on the outskirts of the promised land, east of the land of, of Canaan. It's interesting that, uh, that it's, there's three terms that sort of draw our attention to the center of this narrative, and they all sound similar. You have the Hebrew word for Jacob, and then Jabbok. And then the word that's used for wrestling, they all, it's a play on words. They all sound extremely similar. And these, these terms sort of form the core of the narrative. Jacob by the Jabbok wrestling. The key here though, in verses 22 through 24, I think, is, is that in sending everything that he owns across the Jabbok, we find that he is all by himself. It's made clear, verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. In the process of God crippling us and building our 
faith, I think that this is sometimes key. So let's just think on these words, left alone. That would be maybe point one, left alone. You may just put alone if you want. I don't know if this was Jacob's plan, if he wanted to be alone, or, or maybe he's sort of making the final check before moving forward across the Jabbok. You know, um, I'll do that before we leave for vacation. You get everyone out. It's been this mad ruckus to get out the door. Everything's in the van. Every person is in the van. And then I go back and sort of walk through the house and make sure that we haven't left the coffee maker on or, you know, that something else that we've missed. Um, is not there. And I wonder if maybe that's what Jacob is doing. He's the head. He sent everyone across, and now he's sort of doing the final check. And after that whirlwind, for me, when I walk back to the house, it's amazing how quiet everything is. You know, we've just been getting the car, you know, that whole thing, and then it's 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 quiet. And so here Jacob is, he's, he's all alone. His wives, remember these women that he loved and that he had sort of sought favor and acceptance in, are, are now gone. His children are who they represented both blessing, but they also represented the struggle of his life, and they are no longer there. There's no bleeding of sheep. All the animals that he owned are across on the other side of the river. You can imagine him there, and all he hears maybe are the, the night sounds and the flowing of the Jabbok River. He can hear that. I think it's often in solitude that God meets us, not only in solitude, but just in quiet, in a silent moment, in an unfamiliar place. God comes to Jacob when? At night. It's often that that's when God meets us. God will waken us in the dead of night when everyone else is asleep, when it's silent. And that's when we hear his still small voice. It's at times when when the noise of of life has ceased that we kind of hear him. When family's not around or the kids are asleep or your spouse might be away. When the rhythm of life is just a little different vacation time or the end of a semester or the change of seasons these things they they make us listen a little bit more attentively i don't know that jacob was seeking for silence you know sometimes god thrusts these situations upon us these times when we're alone maybe illness strikes and you spend a lot of time in bed by yourself and no one wants to come near you because they don't want to get what you have or maybe you've been in a hospital bed all alone. Maybe you wake up at 3 a.m. and you can't fall back asleep. Maybe your car breaks down in the middle of nowhere. And in that place, God sort of comes to you and speaks to you in the silence. Sometimes he thrusts us into these situations and we hear from God in a unique way. Of course, sometimes we seek these things out and that's a good thing, isn't it? To find moments of silence, to find times when we can hear from the Lord in a unique way. We need to seek these times. We need to seek those quiet moments before the house is awake. Uh, A walk, maybe in the evening after dinner, when we can just process life and and let our hearts be quiet before the Lord. Maybe there's times where you deliberately turn off the television and the computer and the iPad and the phone and the radio and everything else that we have to turn off in our lives at this point. And we just sort of pause and Take a moment to hear from the Lord. I think that's good. We create space to, to hear the rumblings that are in our own heart and to hear God speak to us through his word and through prayer. That all sounds very peaceful, but sometimes it can also be sort of a war zone, isn't it? Sometimes we avoid silence because then we have to look into our own hearts, and that's difficult. We look there and we see, as Jacob probably did, relationships from our past that sort of come up. Uh, as they did with Jacob, we see those that we've wronged, 
We see those that we have deceived. We see people that we have lost. Those that have hurt us. We see our own sins. Silence sounds really alluring, but at the same time it can be a place of wrestling. We emphasize life in community, right? We live with one another, and that's good, but there also are times that we just need to be alone. That things that we have to face on our own. I think death is one of those, isn't it? You can have a room full of people, but it's still something that you have to face by yourself. No one takes that last breath with you. You take it by yourself. And Jacob is alone. And that solitude, it sort of prepares him for what is is coming. Something's coming because he's not alone for long, is he? He hears the sound of the river. He hears the night sounds. And then what's he hear? He hears footsteps. (laughs) Someone is there. Can you imagine? I mean, this is the middle of nowhere. And suddenly... Someone's coming towards him. So if we think about that first idea, left alone, let's think about the next word that we'll just, I'll give you this morning, which is wrestling. Wrestling. Maybe struggle. This figure comes to Jacob. It's interesting to note that this person is seeking Jacob. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. It's not Jacob who initiates the wrestling. Someone's looking for him. This man seeks out Jacob and he finds him and he engages with him in a wrestling match. Amazing. Who is this guy? Well, the passage we read in Hosea 12 said he was an angel, but also referred to him as God. Uh, It's clear that he's a physical human being, right? And then we notice at the end of the passage, Jacob is pretty confident that this was God himself. That he wrestled with God. He saw God face to face. It reminds you maybe of Genesis 18 where you remember the, the three figures come to Abraham. They meet him at the tent and there's, there's three of them. We find out later that two of them were angels that went on to Sodom to rescue Lot and, and his family. But the third stays behind and speaks to Abraham. And it's clear that this man is the angel of the Lord. He is what many believe would be an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. In physical form. Of course, what's different about that time is that the Lord speaks to Abraham. Here, the Lord throws Jacob on the ground. (laughs) Interesting, isn't it? We see similar threatening appearances. Um, You might remember that another strange tale in Exodus 4, when the Lord comes to Moses. And what's he want to do to Moses? He wants to kill him. That's what it says there. You can look at that in Exodus 4. Or in Joshua 1, Joshua meets the commander of the Lord's army, this imposing figure right before they enter into the land of Canaan. You know, there's times when God speaks to us, and there's times when God puts us in a headlock, you know. (laughs) I think there's times when he is gentle and he has words for us and wants to have a conversation, and then there's times when we just need to sort of be pinned to the ground why does the Lord approach Jacob at this moment in, in this way? You know, we've been watching Jacob for a while. It's been this 20-year journey, and we've seen him changing, right? He, he had gone away, and we watched him. See, he's identifying that the Lord is blessing him. He's, he's headed in the right direction, but we just saw he's still struggling with, am I going to trust the Lord, or am I going to trust in my own ingenuity? And it's in this moment that the Lord comes to meet him, and it's as if God is saying, Jacob is not allowed in the promised land. 
Jacob the deceiver, Jacob the, the one who strives with God, Jacob the usurper, he's not allowed to come in here. And I'm going to stop you, Jacob. You have to change before you can come here. You've made a long journey, but you're still struggling, and you're not allowed in here as Jacob. He's, he's prayed, but he's still seeking to appease Esau on his own. And God sort of comes to him, and this is kind of the final lesson, not the final lesson, but sort of the culminating lesson for, for Jacob. And even in this, I think the Lord is, is patient. You know, why is Jacob not immediately subdued by the Lord? Did you see how long the wrestling match lasted? It's all night. Nate's not here, but I was going to say, you know, if I brought Nate up here and said, hey, let's have a wrestling match, me and you, I'll take you on. I mean, it wouldn't last long. I'd pin him in probably three seconds or something like that. Just no contest, you know. I imagine sort of that's what it's like with, when you think about this, Jacob and God are wrestling. Why does it take so long? Shouldn't it just, it's over, right? But the Lord is patient, and, and the fighting goes on. It goes on until midnight, and then 1 a.m., and 2 a.m., and, and 3 a.m., until the sun starts to rise. I mean, this is a long wrestling match. Can you imagine wrestling that long? I'm sure there were moments when they both paused and put their hands on their knees and sort of caught their breath and then just went right back to it. I think one explanation would might, might be that, that God has taken human form, even as Jesus uh, felt hunger and thirst and, and fatigue, that, that this uh, Old Testament bodily presence of the Lord, there's, there's a sense in which there's that mixture of humanity and deity. So maybe that's part of the reason that the struggle doesn't end so quickly, that there is fatigue there. I think another way to think about it might be, as we talked at the beginning, how you wrestle with your kids. Now, I don't, I mean, if I wanted to just pin my kids right away, I could do that. They might argue with me and say, no, we could handle it. And maybe if they ganged up on me, that they, they could. But there's a sense in which you kind of wrestle and you let them feel the, the struggle, as it were. So they kind of understand what, it, what, it, what the wrestling is. It's not just that I'm throwing them down to the ground. And as Jacob strives with this man, as he strives with God, he feels the struggle. What's he doing? He's fighting. He wants to get into the promised land. And this man, the Lord himself, is a wall that says, no, you are not allowed to come in. He's a wall not only blocking him from the promised land, but everything that he owns, all that he has security in is on the other side of this river now. And, and Jacob can't get to it. And then in a moment, what does God do? It says he just touches his hip. Uh, you see that there in uh, verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip, hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. God touches his hip and all hope of victory for Jacob is totally lost at this point. Because uh, I, he's lost, literally he's lost all of his leverage. One thing I, I read this week said that when you're wrestling, a lot of it relies on that, that hip joint any of the moves that you're going to make, if you can imagine not having one of your legs to, to have leverage to pin someone or to throw someone, and that is taken away from him. He's, he's crippled, and defeat is inevitable for Jacob. But what does Jacob do? Does he admit defeat? He holds on. Why does he hold on? Because he's Jacob. He's the heel grabber, right? Jacob has grabbed at everyone's heel, and now he is holding on for dear life to God himself and begging that God would bless him. And he hangs on. I mean, he hangs on till the sun is rising. 
and the Lord says to him, the sun's rising. Uh, you, you see that there, um, it, it let me go for the day has broken. I don't know exactly what that means. I, I think part of it is kind of like, it's been long enough. <laughs> the, the, this is over, okay? Just give up. You're not going to win. And Jacob just, the, the schemer, the heel grabber just pleads, God, would you bless me? And then this conversation happens there. It begins in um, in verse 26, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then he says to him, what is your name? That's our next word, your third word, name, names. What is your name? What's Jacob's response? My name is Jacob. <laughs> God knows his name, doesn't he? He's forcing Jacob to say who he is. I am Jacob. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the deceiver. I'm the guy that's fought my whole life, tooth and nail, doing what I know how to do, getting things done my way. God says, you are Jacob. You have to say it out loud. And then he says in verse 28, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. First occurrence of Israel in the Bible right there. Your name shall now be called Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. It's a big thing to name someone, isn't it? When we were having our kids trying to come up with names, you realize they're stuck with this for their whole life. You know, you kind of go through what's this rhyme with and what kind of nicknames are they going to get and that whole thing. There's an authority, isn't there, that you're saying, I have the power to tell you what your name is. And here, God claims authority over Jacob. Jacob, who thought he was in control, God now says, I have so much control over you right now, I am changing your name. Not Jacob anymore. You are now Israel. And what does that name mean? It means he who has striven with God, fought with God, has wrestled with God. Then the conversation goes on. Well, Jacob has this, this new name, and then Jacob says, well, tell me your name. But he says, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. It's interesting. Jacob asks, tell me your name. And Jacob has no authority over the Lord in this situation. He says, I'm not telling you my name. I, he says, why do you ask me your, my name? I, I think maybe saying, you know who it is. You know who I am. Don't ask me my name. Uh, so he doesn't tell him. So we have these names. We have Jacob. We have Israel. We have the unnamed God. And then there's a, a fourth name. It's Peniel. You see that there, Jacob, then he can't figure out what God's name is. He can't name God, but he can name the place. So it says in verse 30, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. There's a, a struggle that's going on here. I, who won? Right? It sounds like Jacob held on for dear life to the point that God blessed him. And yet, he says here, I've struggled with God. I've seen him face to face. And yet, my life has been delivered. It seems at the same time that Jacob realizes he's gotten away without being hurt. So, there's a sense in which that God has has won. But these the, the names here, this this significance of of the change of who Jacob is. He's, he's no longer Jacob. As he enters into the promised land, he has been humbled. 
He has been changed. You are the one who has striven with God. And God blesses him. And he says, I've seen the face of God and I have lived. Keep wrestling with that. I, I think there's a lot of mystery in there, but something we can keep thinking on. But So the, the third word I gave you is name, and then the fourth word I want to give you is is limping or limp, whatever you want to say. Limping probably might be a little bit clearer. You see it in verse 31. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. So there's this wonderful picture. You know, you couldn't write it any better. This, the sun is rising behind Jacob as he's heading towards Canaan, and he's limping as he goes. You can just sort of see him dragging his his leg. He is a man who has been humbled. Now he's walking with this awareness of his need for God and the blessing of God. It becomes something that not only marks Jacob personally, but it becomes something that, that Israel, in fact, takes on as their identity. Whenever they would eat something, they would remember this event. Well, we can't eat the hip socket because of Jacob. We need to remember Jacob, the one who wrestled with God and was blessed. I don't know, maybe you've had an injury from your past, something that sort of acts up, you know. How you, maybe the way you know it's going to rain, right? I've heard about that. Or, <laughs> or or just something, you know, if you twist something a certain way, oh, that's a, that old injury that I had from this, and, and you feel it, and you remember that, that moment. And I think Jacob is given this this injury, and it would follow him for his, his whole life probably, a reminder of that God is in control. God is the one who blesses. A reminder of this this night and this struggle, not that he could ever forget it, but it's not a pillar. You know, we see these pillars that Jacob sets up to remember. I'm going to set this pillar up in this land, and that will be the reminder. Whenever I see that, I'll remember what happened here. But this is sort of a pillar that's in his actual physical body. It's it's this this deep internal wound, and everywhere he goes, he carries that with him as a reminder of what God has done. I think that relates so much to we who are Christians. Tozer talks about Christians as, as children of the burning heart. I like that phrase, children of the burning heart. Let me give you another one, though. A good name for Christians could be children of the dislocated hip. <laughs> Isn't that a good name for us? We're those who have lost our wrestling match with God. We have lost it, and yet in losing, we have prevailed enough to earn God's blessing. And the blessing we get is a limp. We get a limp and we get a new name. A name that reminds us how we wrestle with God and how God is the one who triumphs over us. And God is the one who is in control. Do you see the strangeness of this whole thing, though? I, I, just embrace that for a minute with me, okay? Because I was trying to get right down in what is the deep meaning of this. And I maybe someone smarter than me could. <laughs> but... I think there's just so much swimming around here. What would this story mean to Israel was one question I asked. What would it mean to those that are on the, the cusp of entering into the land of Canaan? They may have been right near the Jabbok when this was being read to them. It was there on the east side of the land of Canaan, and they hear this story. What would this, what would this mean to them? They watch their forefather Jacob wrestle, and they hear the name of their nation for the first time. I think they'd see themselves... In him, I think they'd see their wilderness wandering, this time when they were alone. They were taken away from their land, and they were taken away from the land of Egypt. They were taken away from their sense of security, anything that they could hold on to. They might see God's judgment. 
in this in the form of wandering that that's sort of their wrestling moment as they wandered in the desert they would understand their name a little bit more wouldn't they that they are Israel they are those who have wrestled with God and they had wrestled with God they continued in the land of Egypt in the midst of their deliverance they wrestled with God in the wilderness they wrestled with God at Mount Sinai they wrestled with God but now as they're entering the land of, of Canaan and they're getting ready to, to face their enemies, they see Jacob and the way that he enters. And it's as if they have to embrace who they are. We are those who have wrestled with God. And if we're going to be victorious in the land of Canaan, we need to walk like Jacob did. And we need to walk with a little bit of a limp. We need to recognize that if we're going to be blessed, if we're going to receive God's grace and kindness, that we need to see that it's him that's going to bless us. It's not us and what we can do. I think our journey is marked by much the same way. Our journey to the promised land, which is to being with the Lord, it's it's marked by these moments of of wrestling with God. The first one being when the gospel sort of grips us and makes us cry out for mercy and for blessing. See the message of the gospel in a way it, it grabs a hold of us and it, it lays us bare like Jacob was all alone. It forces us to drop everything, right? If you want to hold on to something when you come to God and say, this is how I'm going to approach you, God, the gospel makes us drop it all. Anything that would define us, anything that would make us worthy before God, we have to come to him with with empty hands. We have to send everything across the jabbok, (laughs) everything away from us, and we have to stand, as it were, naked before God. And in that state, God reveals our, our need for him. He comes to us and he refuses to let us come into the land as we are. So we wrestle with him. And we cry out for blessing. And what does he say? He says, what is your name? (laughs) What's your name? And every single one of us has to say, I am Jacob. I am a deceiver. I'm a schemer. I'm someone who wants to rely on his own strength. I'm the guy that thinks I can accomplish all this on on my own. Or, Or you might say, my name is Graceless. That was Christian's name in Pilgrim's Progress before he became Christian. His name was Graceless. What's your name? Apart from Christ, what defines you? I think in general we are all Jacob. In general we're all sinners. But there's also just stuff that we struggle with. Things that apart from Christ we recognize. This is what's deep down. This is what defines me apart from Jesus. This is the the thing I struggle with the most. And God says, tell me your name. Tell me what you struggle with. Tell me me the, the, the hardest thing for you. We have to say it out loud in the gospel. And then what does God do for us? He says, that's not your name anymore. No longer. That's, that's not who you are anymore. He gives us a new name. He asserts his authority over us. He's the one who, who owns us. He has the right to tell us who we are. And, and in general, at least our name, at the very least, is that we are sons and we are daughters. That's who we are. Revelation 2.17 says this. It's part of the letter to the church in Pergamum. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. We get a new name when we come to God in faith. And God gives us not just a new name, but he gives us a limp. We're marked by our struggle with God. We're marked as those who have seen our deep need. We've been shown our deep need. And out of that, that's how we are blessed. And then I think we continue to struggle, don't we? That's not just one wrestling match with God. We wrestle with him. 
throughout our whole lives because in some ways we are Israel. We are still those who, who wrestle with God. So in light of, let me just give you three thoughts as I was just trying to, to think about applying this to my own heart and to each of, to our church. Just a few thoughts here, having walked through the story. One, the first one, a, a life marked by striving with God is better than one marked by relying on our strength. A life marked by striving with God is better than one marked by relying on our own strength. We're told to just suck it up and be strong in and of ourselves and figure it out on our own. I think Jacob tells us to not be afraid to, to struggle, to wrestle. I mean, if we don't struggle, we don't understand our weakness. Uh, struggle is what leads us to faith. Struggle is what dislocates our hip to the point we say, I can't do this on my own. It, it, struggle doesn't mean we have no faith. It means we're growing in faith. We have to struggle. I don't know if it's true. I saw it on the Internet. <laughs> uh, and I've heard it from a preacher before. That doesn't mean it's true either. Uh, but that a butterfly, as it's struggling to get out of its cocoon, the story is told of people who see this butterfly struggling and they try to help it along by sort of snipping the, the cocoon open so that it can get out faster and not have to go through the struggle. And that when they do that, the, the, the wings aren't fully formed and the, and the body is, is just messed up in some sense because it's actually in the struggle of, of breaking out of the cocoon that, that the butterfly gains its strength and is able to fly. True or not, that's a great illustration, isn't it? Uh, life is hard. It's, it's, it's a struggle, but it, it's, it's what helps us to grow. And I think sometimes we, we wrestle with ourselves. I think Jacob is wrestling with his identity, with who he is. But sometimes we're just flat out wrestling with God. God is coming into and he's, he's teaching us something, and we are pushing against it. And he will wrestle with us, and he'll be patient. We can go all night, but when the sun rises, he'll eventually make us subdue. This is what A.W. Pink says about this. It was to reduce Jacob to a sense of his nothingness, to cause him to see what a poor, helpless, and worthless creature he was. It was to teach us, through him, the all-important lesson that in recognized weakness lies our strength. In recognized weakness lies our strength. I like that. That's what I'm trying to say. A life marked by striving with God is better than one marked by relying on our own strength. We need to recognize our weakness. That's where strength is, actually. We think that saying how strong we are, that's where strength is. But it's not. It's in seeing where we are weak. And in light of that, let me give you a second thought. It's this. We've all got a limp. So let's stop trying to hide it. We've all got a limp, so let's stop trying to hide it. I mean, Jacob, you see him at the end here as he's walking and the sun is rising. It had been dark and no one saw what was going on. And now the sun is rising like a spotlight almost on Jacob as he's walking into the land. And as he gets close, we're going to see as he you know, approaches his family, they're all going to say, what happened to you? As he comes to Esau, Esau's going to say, what happened to you? And, and he can't hide it. It's on full display. His, his weakness, his wrestling with God, it's, it's seen by everyone because it's so visible. 
And if we are people who have recognized our weakness, and if we are those that have said, I can't do it on my own, then why do we try to hide the limp in our lives? Why, why do we try to act like we have it all together? Why do we pretend as if we're not struggling? That's like Jacob just trying to walk through the land, and when someone says, what happened with you? He would say, oh, nothing. I wrestled with God last night is what happened to me. That's what happened. And that, that's our lives. If, if it's, it's, it's difficult, though, isn't it? I mean, when you're injured, most people don't want to tell everyone. Maybe that's different in our Facebook age. I don't know. <laughs> but for the most part, we hide weakness. We don't want people to know because it's hard to share weakness. And you would also, it's, it's hard to hear weakness. I don't, we don't naturally want to know how we're struggling. But, but if we recognize it, and if we're part of a community, and we've all sort of come, and what's our unity? Our unity is the gospel. What does the gospel tell us? That we can't do anything on our own, and we need the help of God. Then why would we then walk in this community as if we've got it all together? That's ridiculous. If we've got a limp, let's stop trying to hide it. We're all God's people, and our identity is found in the fact that we have struggled with God and have been humbled. And then the third thought is the one I said at the beginning. God cripples our strengths to strengthen our trust. He cripples our strength to strengthen our trust. It happens in the gospel, and we continue to wrestle all of our lives, and as we fight, we catch glimpses of God's face. Sometimes in the dark, sometimes in the midst of struggle, we see who he is. We know more about him, and we walk away saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. I invite you to think about Genesis 32, 22 to 32 today and this week and this year and for the rest of your life. I think this is one of those passages we just keep coming back to. And I think in 10 years, I'll understand a little bit more. And then in 20 years, I'll understand it a little bit more, Lord willing. And then in 30 years, I'll say, ah, that's what wrestling with God means. That's what it means to walk with a limp. That's what it means to... To have my name be called Israel. That's what it means to wrestle for blessing. So I invite you to to meditate, to step into sort of the darkness of this experience with Jacob, to the struggle. Let it reveal your heart. Let it reveal the heart of God, the face of God, as it were. And then let's let's talk with one another. So let me just, you know, in closing, some of the things we've said. Don't be afraid to struggle. And don't be afraid to show that you're struggling. And maybe the place that you get to the place of seeing all this is, is sometime this week, you just find a place to be all alone. How do I drop it all? How do I send everything across the Javik and sit down by myself with God's word and in prayer and, and let God search my heart and wrestle with him a little bit about who I am and about who he is and the blessing that he wants to give me in my life. I invite you to do that. It's a scary thing. But that's how we're changed. That's how we grow. Let's take one of those moments of silence right now. Just take a moment to allow God to speak to our hearts. And then I will, I will close this in prayer. Search our hearts, O oh God. Show us how Jacob, how like Jacob we are.
reveal the, the struggling that we have, the things that we're wrestling with that we don't even know that we're wrestling with you on. Lord, make us those children of the dislocated hip, those that, Lord, would limp through life knowing that that's the best way to walk, to, to realize how weak we are and how strong you are. Or that if we have any blessing in this life, it's from you. Lord, open our eyes more and more to, to see the truth of this passage, to see the truth of who we are and of, and of who you are. Thank you for your spirit, Lord. You're walking with us. You're teaching us. You're patient with us. Um, encourage our hearts and challenge us this morning and throughout this week. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.